Ben, thank you, Brother Vaughn. How great thou art. Let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. You, you have to come back tonight. Uh, this is a sequence message, and it's, uh, this, we're going to look at part one this morning and part two's tonight. And uh, it's going to be good. Amen? It's going to be good. You're in Isaiah. If you know anything about Isaiah chapter 6, it's going to be good. And so I want to encourage you to be back here tonight uh, for Isaiah 6 as we, we look at the sequential message. It's part two tonight. And the title of tonight's message is, uh, Just One Look is All It Took. And we're going to see just what, what happened in Isaiah's life here that can happen in your life and mine that can be very life-transforming. Isaiah chapter 6. Now look around you if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible or maybe doesn't have a New Test, Old Testament and, uh, or doesn't have the King James Version translation, if you'd be kind enough to share your Bible with them, that'll help them find their place. And uh, we're going to just have a good time this morning. I'm under time constraints. So I want to get right through this this morning to help us understand the, the idea here. And then we'll get into it a little bit more tonight. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And let me give you a pause and a thought here. As Isaiah is transitioning out of chapter 5, it's been God that's been speaking. And Isaiah does not say anything for these first five chapters about the kingdom of King Uzziah. But he does say some things about it in 2 Chronicles 26. In fact, the Bible tells us 2 Chronicles 26, I think verse 33, it says that Isaiah wrote about the beginning and the ending of King Uzziah's reign. We'll, we'll take a moment to look at that tonight. But I want you to imagine with me that there's been a transition here. God has been speaking. We saw last week, uh, or the week before, I think it was last week, the, the picture of God's people being like a vineyard. And I think, I think as I was doing my study, I, I believe that perhaps part of what embedded that thought into Isaiah's mind was the fact that King Uzziah loved husbandry. He planted a lot of vineyards. We read about that in Second Chronicles 26. And so God used that imagery to break, convey a message to Israel. We get to chapter 6, verse 1, and I'll get into this a little bit more tonight. You have to come tonight to hear this. It's going to be a very strong expository message. But Uzziah has died. His funeral has happened. He's not buried in the sepulchers of his fathers. He's buried in the field of his fathers, but not the sepulcher. You have to come tonight to find out why. And so, Isaiah's attention is taken off of Grieving, disappointment, other things I'll say tonight. And God gives him a vision, not just of heaven. God gives him a vision of the millennial kingdom. The temple being spoken of here is not, is not Solomon's temple. It's a future temple. And we look here and he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And by the way, God's still on the throne. Amen. And lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And above, I want you just let your imagination loose a little bit this morning. And above the throne of God, not above it in authority. 
but above it in terms of acknowledgement and worship. Above it stood the seraphims. And that means the word seraphims means the fiery ones. These are angelic beings. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain or two, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. Now, we're not told the number of seraphims. That's, that's really not necessary. We just know there were many. And uh, I believe it was all the created seraphims, as far as I'm concerned. All the created seraphims, which probably numbered in the millions, are surrounding the throne of heaven, the throne of God. And the Bible says in verse 3, they were crying, or if you would, they're celebrating, they are singing, they're rehearsing. And Revelation, as we'll see in a minute, gives us some insight about it. They did that day and night. They cried without interruption, without complaining, without growing weary and tired. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want you to fathom that for just a minute. You need to take a road trip. You don't see any buildings. See the oceans and the mountains and the fields and the forests, the majestic peaks and get out to where those city lights and look up in the sky and see the great constellations and the moon by night, the stars by night and the clearness of the skies. And fathom the thought. God's holiness is so great. The whole earth is full of it. Amen. I mean, it's full of the glory of God. God's glory and his holiness are one and the same. And by the way, the reason why the evolutionists and the anthropologists do not like creation because it gives acknowledgement to the holiness of God. Because if they were to acknowledge it, they could not do so without recognizing that they're in sin. And so verse 5 says, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is still speaking. Then said I, what would you say if you saw the holiness of God this morning? By the way, what will you say after you see the holiness of God this morning? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth. And he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. We look at verse 3. Now I prayed this week, and leading up to this week, the cry... The singing, the chorus, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty would change our lives. That we would be a holy people. Realizing we hold in our hands the holy word of God. And if you're saved this morning, living inside of you is the Holy Spirit of God. And realizing this morning God has spoken to us. 
in holiness. And taking from the title of the song the choir sang, which is one of my favorites, I want to preach your message this morning as our introduction to a two-part message. Holy is He. You can't say anything better about God than holy is He. Holy is He. Father, we've been so encouraged by the congregational singing and the choir, what we heard in our adult growth groups and Sunday school classes. Just reading, Lord, these first seven verses of Isaiah 6. Lord, you've spoken in holiness. Cleanse us from the filthiness of the flesh and superfluity of naughtiness. That we would now receive the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Save souls this morning. Change us. Help us to see the beauty of your holiness today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been in this series since the beginning of the year from the book of Isaiah. Borrowing from Isaiah chapter 40. The phrase that's mentioned, behold your God. And today we want to behold God in his holiness. Quite honestly, I feel very inadequate. I feel very unsure of myself. I feel very overwhelmed. I feel very, uh, very just ill-prepared, maybe. For us to just even look at the holiness of God. To even entertain the thought. And as you read through the book of Isaiah, God uses some really, some very colorful and interesting pictures and symbols to get our attention. Last time we looked at this beautiful vineyard. And the best I could, I tried to get you to imagine the landscapes of Napa, Sonoma and the coastline of California and drive you up 580 East seeing the the hillsides of Livermore on the, on the left side, go, if you're going up towards like Mountain House, that place is like that, and seeing the vineyards up there, and trying to just at a small scale, trying to imagine the beautifulness of how a barren landscape was transformed. And we'll see as we go through our studies this, this, during this series, we'll see barren deserts become alive. We'll see tents being spread into stakes, the stakes of those, those, those tents being uh, nailed to the ground. And of course, Isaiah is only Isaiah could do. Gives us perhaps one of the most picturesque understandings of the wounds and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. And I'm excited and looking forward to preaching that. But this morning we're looking at a a very stirring, a very powerful picture of a vision that Isaiah saw. A vision that changed his life and changed his ministry, changed his preaching. He saw a vision of a king who died. And in that vision, he saw the temple of God. He saw, perhaps for the very first time, the angelic beings, which the seraphims, as they're called, the fiery ones of God, circling the throne of the heaven, the throne of God there as he sat on, God sat on his throne. He saw a live burning coal taken off the altar of God. He saw smoke that filled the temple and the posts of the door moving. And all you could really say is, as he looked at that in verse five, he said, woe is me. He didn't say like we would say, we saw something very majestic or very, very awesome. We'd say, whoa. He didn't say it like that. He said, woe is me. He said, woe is me. I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. And we'll define the words there for a minute in just a, in a moment here. But we want to behold our God who is in his holiness. 
This morning in part one, we want to examine what is holiness. Holy is he. Tonight, we want to examine what holiness does to us. So this morning, we're going to see what is holiness. Tonight, we're going to see what holiness does to us. We want God to capture our thoughts. We want our thoughts to be absorbed with God and His holiness. And I re- re- repeat a quote I gave a couple of weeks ago from A.W. Tozer who said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's a great thought. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And please, I would ask you this morning, do not think about anything else. Do not think about what annoys you. Do not think about your hunger. Not think about your burdens, not think about your concerns, not going to think about your celebrations, not to think about lunch to come. I want you to think about God this morning. Amen? Amen. Just think about God. Because what you think about God is the most important thing about you today. And I want you to think about God and to think about His holiness. Something we really don't have a grasp of. Something we really don't comprehend because in this sinful flesh, this flesh of ours doesn't know any good thing. There's no good thing that we do with this flesh. And we must be concerned this morning that we have such a limited idea and such a limited definition of of holiness. We need to get to God's word and understand what it's about. So notice number one this morning as we look at holy. See, I want you to consider, first of all, the essence of holiness. Please consider with me this morning the essence of holiness. The word holy simply means to be set apart. To sanctify, set apart or sanctify. God is set apart. God is set above in his holiness. The word holy is found 546 times throughout the entire Bible. The word holiness is found 43 times throughout the Bible. Flying above the throne of God are the seraphims, their wings, two of their wings, six wings, two cover their faces, two cover their their feet, as if to say... We cannot even look at God. He's so holy. And while they're flying, they're crying out, not whispering, not saying under their breath, but crying out with joy and exuberance and uh, enthusiasm and praise and rejoicing. How many believe this morning praise and rejoicing should be from our lungs? Amen. It should be from our diaphragm. It should be with rejoicing and exuberance. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want you to consider with me this morning as I cry this beautiful chorus. It's interesting that we find that it's repeated again in Revelation chapter 4. You might want to turn to Revelation 4 with me for just a moment. Revelation 4 verses 6 to 8. It might be in your notes, but I would prefer if you would, if you turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 4, to get a glimpse of what, what, what we'll be doing in heaven. Because what these seraphims were doing was giving a foretaste or foreshadowing of what we're going to be doing in heaven. And in chapter 4, as we get, we're working our way slowly through the book of Revelation this year and our study there, we're going to be studying chapters 4 and 5 in just a few weeks here and looking at what really goes on in heaven and what really happens in heaven and who's in heaven and all those type of things there. But we get a glimpse of heaven. And the Bible says in Revelation 4, verses 6 to 8, And before the throne, that's the throne of God, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes, before and behind, all seeing, if you would. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a, as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And let me pause it for just a minute. These four beasts are representations, if you would, or symbolically, of speaking of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, and speaking of his deity, is speaking about Jesus Christ being perfect God and perfect man. 
And these beasts, if you would, were to capture the attention of the elders, if you will, the 24 elders, which represents God's church. That's us, the God's church that would be in heaven. And if you notice in verse 7, this beast that looked like a lion, lion is the king of the beasts, and it's a picture, a representation of Jesus Christ, who's king of the Jews. And the second beast, like a calf, a calf is a serving, if you would, a serving animal, and represents a servant. The lion represents the gospel of Matthew, Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. The calf represented, if you would, the ox, or the, if you would, the, 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 the gospel of Mark, or Jesus Christ as the suffering servant of God. And then you notice the third beast had the face of a man, and Luke portrayed Jesus Christ as the perfect man, because the Greeks were concerned about man and his exterior, but it represents Jesus Christ as perfect man and perfect God. And then, of of course, as we look at we look at the last animal, the eagle. The eagle is the is the master of land and air, and it's a picture. It's a beautiful picture of the deity of Jesus Christ, perfect God and perfect man, the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you would, those an, those four animals, those four beasts that surround the throne, they're not grotesque and they're not ugly and they're not out of place. They're rightly in place. They're a picture of the of represent, representing to the church and the assembly of all those who are saved, the saved, the redeemed through all the ages in heaven. Representing just the perfection of God, because I want to remind you this morning that everything that goes on in heaven is representing God and glorifying our Lord. And everything about heaven is about Jesus and about God. Aren't you glad it's not about war? And aren't you glad it's not about hatred? And aren't you glad it's not about all the ills we have in this world? And aren't you glad it's not about sin? But it's about Jesus, Amen. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ and about His goodness and His grace and His holiness. And these animal, these these beasts, if you would, these angelic beasts surround the throne of God. And each one of them had six wings and believe these. Were were these seraphim type of animals, these type type of beings. And they, the Bible says they were full of eyes within and without. And the Bible says in verse 8, they rest not day and night. I mean, in other words, in heaven, uh, we don't have to worry about rest because we've attained our rest. We think about, man, I get tired and I'm weary and I need to rest. But in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God all the time. Amen. That's going to be wonderful. And we're going to be serving God all the time. And that's going to be wonderful. And we don't have to worry about getting weary and tired and, and well-doing. And there is a all night long and all day long because in eternity there is no time. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And I just want to draw your attention as we look at this this morning. As the essence of holiness, what a sight to behold. What sounds to behold. Think about that. What worship to behold. The essence of God is His holiness. Uh, Hannah said this in 1 Samuel 2, 2. There's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. I remind you today, if you want to just do a comparative comparison of religion, there is none holy like the Lord. There's no church Holy like the Lord. There's no religion. Holy like the Lord. There's no belief system. Holy like the Lord. There's no government. Holy like the Lord. There's no human being. Holy like the Lord. There's no creed aside from the word of God that is holy as the Lord. There's none holy as the Lord God. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, said this. Holiness is the perfection of all of God's other attributes. His power is His holy power. His mercy is holy mercy. His wisdom is holy wisdom. It is holy. It is His holiness more than any other attribute that makes Him worthy of our praise. You've heard me say this many, many times for many years. All other, all the attributes of God are an emanation of God's holiness. We understand God's love by understanding His holiness. We understand God's forgiveness by understanding His holiness. We understand God's long-suffering by understanding His holiness. Notice we see the essence of God's holiness. It's in His glory. The Bible says here as these angelic beings were crying out in verse 3, the whole earth is full of His glory. Now, go back with me to chapter 5 of Isaiah. In that monumental chapter we spent a little bit of time on last week, 
we see in the latter part of chapter 5 that the holiness of God is referenced. Isaiah is given a, a, a foretaste, if you would, of what's going to happen in verse in chapter 6 by understanding God is speaking about His holiness there. In Isaiah 5.16, God is speaking. This is a wonderful verse. In Isaiah 5.16, the Bible says, But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. And let me just park there and say, when we think about holiness and we think about the absolute of truth, and we think about righteousness, they're all one and the same. They're synonymous with each other. When you think about the righteousness of God, you cannot separate righteousness from holiness. And you cannot separate glory from, from, from holiness there. And then he said in chapter 5, verse 19, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. And then notice in Isaiah five twenty four, it says, therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chafe, so their roots shall be as rottenness, and their blossoms shall go up as dust. God is saying here about the sinfulness of Israel and the sinfulness of Judah, that they will be, they will be chastened by God, and their, their, all their successes will burn up. And let me remind us this morning that when we're not living for God, and we're trying to go our way, and we live in rebellion, all our successes will eventually burn up. And the Bible says, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the, whole, the word of the Holy One of Israel. These seraphims, as they beheld the holiness of God, they said the whole earth is full of His glory. You see, this morning as we have the starting point in understanding who we are in relationship to God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is His holiness. We come short of His holiness. We don't measure, measure up to His holiness. Instead of being holy, we are unholy. And we'll see that from Isaiah in just a moment here. But we see that there are limitations there. God's glory is His holiness. Consider some verses this morning that speak about this essence, the glory of His holiness. We see in Exodus fifteen eleven, His holiness is glorious. Uh, Moses cried out, and, and, and his sister Miriam cried out, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee? Listen to this. Glorious in holiness. Fearful in praises, doing wonders. His holiness is glorious. Notice, His holiness is to be worshipped. Psalms 29, verse 2. Glory, give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. When we approach God, even as we did just a moment ago, and I hope you felt the same as me, as I felt like my cup was overflowing while the choir was singing, Holy is He. We're to worship God in the beauty of holiness. I remind you this morning, there's nothing more beautiful than holiness. There's nothing more beautiful than a holy Christian. There's nothing more beautiful than a holy man. There's nothing more beautiful than a holy woman. There's nothing more beautiful than when you get saved. You were brought, you were saved by Jesus Christ and you brought into the holiness of all things. There's nothing more holy than coming to the holy place of prayer. Worship God in the beauty of his holiness. We see God, we see his holiness in his communication. Psalm 60 verse 6, God has spoken in his holiness. We see his holiness in his very name. Psalms 111 verse 9, he set redemption unto his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. We must understand today that God's holiness, the essence of his, of his holiness is found in its glory. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. There are no words to describe it. We, we, we kind of feel like we're speechless just as these, these angels here. 
these uh, that are circling his throne and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we see we see Isaiah here and he's catching the glory of this of this essence. But I want to consider, secondly, the Godhead in this essence. We cannot look at holiness of God, the holiness of God, without considering for just a moment that the essence of holiness is found in the entire Godhead. Now, we use in our vernacular the term the Trinity to describe the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's fine. I like using the word Godhead. Godhead is a biblical word. Godhead describes the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I have nothing against the word Trinity. I just like using the word Godhead because it's a biblical word. Whether you like to use it or not, that's fine. But I'm just saying, we see the Godhead here. The essence of His holiness is found in the Godhead. Notice, God Himself is holy. Leviticus 19.2 Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God's own declaration of Himself is that He's holy. In fact, of all the things God says about himself, we find repeatedly he makes mention of the, fact, of the fact that God himself is holy. Joshua 24 verse 19, Joshua says he's giving his closing message to the children of Israel before he was to part ways with them and go to heaven. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. Notice, for he is a holy God. And of course, Joshua, who tagged along with Moses for many years, and then the leadership reins were passed to him. Joshua was able to see a glimpse of that holiness as he was in the shadow of Moses for 40 years. But now, as his leader, as a man of God, he got to see the fullness of that holiness over and over again. And we think, I think about Joshua chapter 7, when there was the sin of Achan and the sin that at Ai and the failure there, that he saw the greatness of their sin. We get to chapter 8 and we see the greatness of God's holiness. And they read and revert, they read over there the cursings and blessings that are found over in the book of Deuteronomy. And they stood between two mountains. As they read those, and it was, he was overwhelmed with the sense of that holiness. And he says to the people of God, For he is a holy God, he is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. You see, God is holy. We ought to rejoice this morning, brother and sister in Christ, that we have a holy God. Amen? He's not a pagan God, he's not an impure God, he's not a failed God, he's not a powerless God, he's not an unknown God. Praise God, he's a holy God. Amen? He's a God we can worship, and he's a God who's holy regardless of who we are and what we think we are. God is always holy regardless of all that. God is holy. But thank God this morning, Jesus is holy. Amen? Jesus is holy. Acts chapter 3, verse 14. But she denied the Holy One and the just, speaking about Jesus, and denied a murderer to be granted unto you. Hebrews seven twenty six. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, notice us separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. I'm thankful today that we can, we can, we can, we can tell the secular writers, and we can tell the Christ haters, we have a holy Jesus. Amen? He wasn't a Jesus that was married to Mary Magdalene. He wasn't a Jesus that was a defiled man. He was the holy son of God. He was born in holiness into this world and he left this world in holiness. He had the same holiness in this in this world as he did in eternity up in heaven. And he has that same holiness today. He is he is the holy Jesus, the holy son of God. He died for our sins in holiness and praise God. He was raised by the spirit of holiness and by the power of the spirit of holiness. Thank God we have a holy Jesus. And then we consider the spirit of God. Every mention about the spirit of God is that he's the holy ghost or he's the holy spirit. By his very name he is absolutely holy. Listen, when you look at the inseparableness of the Trinity and of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all together are equal. They all together have the same essence. They all together are essential. Why? Because all of them together are holy. And before you and I, we have a holy God. Jonathan Edwards said this, God has appeared to me, a glorious and a lovely being 
chiefly on account of his holiness. The holiness of God has always appeared to me the most lovely of all his attributes. I declare to you this morning, as Isaiah, on the time, the moment when Uzziah had died and had been buried, he beheld the holiness of God. He understood for the very first time, as one of God's mighty prophets during that time, he understood the essence of God's holiness. And I'm just thankful that he understood and captured the essence of that holiness at the beginning of his ministry and not the end of his ministry. Let me encourage you this morning, if you're a new Christian, you've recently come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, capture the essence of His holiness now. If you're someone who's been kind of just gone along for a few years, you really don't grasp it, capture the essence of His holiness today. If you've been around the Christian faith for a long period of time and you really have not been affected, you've really not been changed or transformed, in the year that King Uzziah died, as he said, we need to see the Lord lifted up. We need to see that His train, that His power, that His entire essence fills the temple. And we need to see the holiness of God. We see the essence of holiness. But go back with me in Isaiah chapter 6 and very quickly, would you notice the second thing? And that's this, this I want you to catch this morning. Would you notice the encounter with holiness? We see the essence of holiness. I want you to catch with me the encounter with holiness. What happens when you come face to face with God's holiness? What happens when God's holiness confronts you? You see, we of our own nature will not confront the holiness of God. But God's holiness, because of His nature, will confront you and I. God's holiness through His gospel is the starting point for a sinner. But God's word is the place where God encounters us with His holiness. Whether we want it or not. Whether we want to hear it or not. Whether we want to see it or not. We have the encounter with God's Holiness. And you'll notice here Isaiah has an encounter with the holiness of God. Notice first of all in verses 1 to 4, we see the holiness of God captivated him. Look again what it says in verses 1 to 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and it stood and above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twenty covered with his face, and twenty covered his feet, with twenty did fly, and one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. It captivated him, it arrested his attention, it moved his thoughts, it overcame his senses, it made him speechless, it overwhelmed his thoughts, and it moved in his spirit, it made his heart jump out of his chest. It gave him great conviction about who he was and what he was not before God. I want you to capture me for just a moment how he captivated him. First of all, what you notice in verse 1, he saw the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, the starting point for the Christian life, you've got to see the Lord. You've got to see the Lord holy and lifted up. You need to see the Lord in his word. You need to see the Lord and his perfect will for your life. You need to see the Lord in his attributes. And you'll notice here, he saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. We must realize it's not you and I sitting on the throne. And it's not your ideas sitting on the throne. And it's not your goals and your ambitions sitting on the throne. And it's not your personality sitting on the throne. Press God this morning. It's God himself that's sitting on that throne. God who's undefeated. God who's never been overthrown. God who's always victorious. The Lord's sitting upon his throne. He's high and lifted up. And the Bible says his train filled the entire temple. And then we see the beings of heaven, those angelic beings with their six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, and two with their flying, transporting them, crying one to another, and crying out those beautiful words, holy, holy, holy. They're crying out to the triune God. They're recognizing God the Father who is holy, and recognizing Jesus Christ who is holy, and recognizing the Holy Spirit who is holy. They're crying out in completeness that we're not complete without recognizing with a threefold way that we understand that God is holy, and the whole earth is full of his glory. You see, as he, as he heard that, this, he, then he looked around that temple, that millennial temple, 
And he noticed that the post of the door removing so powerful was the whole dimension of the holiness of God. And uh, he said the house was filled with smoke with just the, the incense that was being offered up. <coughs> and you'll notice here, it captivated him. You see, when you have an encounter with God's holiness, if you truly have an encounter, if you go in with both eyes open and you recognize whose presence you're in, it captivates you. It overwhelms you. It gets your senses. It makes you realize you are nothing compared to God and how sinful you are. And it just brings your attention to God must be worshipped and God must be honored and God must be adored and God's worthy of my honor and I must bring my praises and sing my songs and offer my prayers to a God who's holy. You see, this morning, friend, we, we live in a world that's sin, sinful, a world that's tainted, a world that's upside down, a world that calls right, wrong, and right, wrong, right, a world that doesn't see purity any longer, a world that compromises and, and, and just, it just kind of waters down things, a world, a world where even the Bible itself is being rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and watered down, and a place where preachers stand in the pulpit, a holy place of God, and instead of talking about God and His holiness, they, they bring God down to our, the, our, our level. My, my friend today, we don't bring God down to our level. God brings us up to His level. Amen? That's the holiness of God. Now, God comes down to meet with us. God meets with us. God reconciled us to Himself. But that's for salvation. And God comes to us for fellowship. But we don't bring God down to our level. We cannot do that. We must come up to the level of where God is at. And we see that the, that the holiness of God captivated Isaiah. But notice in verse 5, the holiness of God convicted him. I said earlier he was speechless. He heard all these things. And we're not really told what space of time, what span of time this went on. But for whatever span of time it was, it was enough to captivate him. It was enough to convict him. And he, went, he didn't do like the modern theologian today. The typical contemporary pastor. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, that's pretty awesome. Well, let me get this again. Let me get my cell phone out. Maybe I'll get a picture of this, you know. He didn't do that. Isaiah, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, throughout his entire soul, he's so captivated, he's convicted. I want you to catch with me what this holy man, one of God's great prophets, the prophet who served through the reign of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz, And Hezekiah, who gave us the book of Isaiah, who wrote the biography of the kings that whose reigns he was under. I want you to capture with me for just a moment his response. Because when you have an encounter with the holiness of God, it demands a response. Truth demands a response. Holiness demands a response. You cannot be on the sidelines. You cannot be indifferent. You cannot be lukewarm about it. You can't put it off another day. It demands an immediate response. And we're so convicted. Notice what he said. <coughs> Woe is me. Notice I'm in trouble. What's going to happen to me? What is going to happen to me? Then his next statement was, for I am undone. Literally means this. I'm about to be cut off. I'm about to perish. I can see my life passing right by me. I feel like death is coming on me. I mean, he was so 
convicted by what he saw. He thought he was going to die because he recognized his sinfulness. And we'll see that in a moment. He said, woe is me. I'm a man undone. Then notice the next phrase he says. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, I don't know about you, but I always wondered for a long time, how come he didn't say I'm a man with an unclean life? Why did he say I'm a man with unclean lips? And I thought about this, and I thought about what Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And we indicate what's really inside of us by what we say. Our mouth speaks for us, doesn't it? And I think as we think about Isaiah, he said, I'm a man of unclean thoughts, unclean lips. He thought about every word that should never have come out of his mouth. Think with me for just a moment about that. Amen. He thought about every word that should never have come out of his mouth. And then he thought about every word that should have come out of his mouth. Amen. He thought about the times he should have given a witness when he was quiet. He thought about the times he should have been praising God and he was quiet. He thought about the times he should have been praying and he was not praying. He thought about, my lips are unclean because things I should have said, I didn't say. He thought about times he should have been thankful and he wasn't thankful. He thought about times he should have showed due respect and due reverence and he did not. He thought about the times when he should have said something that was kind and give a word of cheer to somebody who was weary and he did not. He thought, I am a man of unclean lips. And he thought about times perhaps maybe behind the scenes he swore and he cursed. And he thought about times where he said something irreverently and he said something of criticism. He thought about lies and criticisms and gossips and complaining and evil speaking and swearing and cursing, angry words, railing, division. And he said, listen, I am messed up. I am undone. I think he called it right. More than just saying, I've got an unclean life. He said, I've got unclean lips. Brother and sister in Christ, when we think about the holiness of God, it should grip us in such a way that changes our worship. It changes our devotional life. It changes our witness. A man of unclean lips. Of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaketh. Speak truth with every man. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Then he says something else. This is mind-blowing. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, that's kind of interesting. It's not just me. It's all of us. He thought about his world. He thought about his ministry. He thought, my generation, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He had an encounter with God's holiness. Then he said this. Notice verse 5. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He was convicted in his sight. He was convicted in his senses. He was convicted about his speech. He said, mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw this magnificent throne. No throne to be compared to it. He saw his King and his Lord. No king, earthly king to be compared to him. He saw the seraphims. In a more marvelous way than any any congregation of people rejoicing over God and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he was captivated. And he was convicted. And you'll notice in verse 5, he's convicted. 
Because he's, sens- he's sensing in his heart. He's a sinner. And he's under condemnation. But notice this encounter led to his cleansing. Because as he sat there, you'll notice in verse 5, basically it's a confession by Isaiah that I, I, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he says, I've seen the Lord. And he says, I really don't even know, I don't even dare to ask God to do anything for me because I, I've recognized His holiness. And I'm going to just tell you today, we, you know, we're just, we're so, we're just so, um, we're so human in our ways. We're more human than we're holy. And we have no problem coming to God and entering into His presence and praying and asking God to do something for us in the name of Jesus Christ. But really, if we approach God as Isaiah did in the beauty of His holiness, we come to this reverence, this, this sense of reverence and recognizing how holy God is and how set apart He is from us that we recognize, you know what? I'm of such unclean lips. I don't deserve to ask God to do something for me because I really don't deserve that. But God knew His heart. Aren't you glad this morning? God knows your heart. Amen. The Lord knoweth the hearts, okay? Every man is clean his own as, but the Lord weigheth the spirit. God knows your heart. Thank God today, no matter who we are, remember on one end, we may be very aggressive and we may be somebody that just perhaps a little bit more boisterous than we should be. And then the other end, someone very shy and very, 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 very just kind of very, very backwards in our way. And we don't even feel like we need to ask anything of God, but God knows our heart. And notice Isaiah, as he sat there feeling a sense of uh, unworthiness and feeling a sense of being unwashed. And feeling a sense of God, that, that his worship is, that he failed in his worship all those years, and he failed in his service all those years, and, and in a sense that, that his, that, that, that the character of his life failed all those years. You notice then, as he sat there, and probably was weeping, and probably was just wondering, what's God going to do to me? Now that I've seen the Lord in his holiness, I've seen the King in his beauty, I've seen the, and by the way, he calls him the Lord of hosts, because he, the, speaking about the Lord, the Lord who goes to battle and he's seeing the armies of heaven there. And he's thinking, I wonder if God's going to send his army to do battle against me. Because I'm wondering if just, am I'm so bad. He said, I'm just so wicked before God. And then he see, that's going on. Notice he sees something else in verse 6. Then one of the seraphims, just one of the seraphims, he said, flew to him. And it took a coal off the altar of God. It had taken those golden tongs. And you remember, as we go back to the book of Exodus, the description of the altar of God, the things that were made of gold, many of the instruments were made of gold, like the tongs were made of gold. And the gold always is a picture of the, of the, of the wonderfulness of God. It's a picture of God. And he took those, those golden tongs and he grabbed just one coal. And it was a live coal. It was a burning coal. It was a fiery coal. And he flew over to Isaiah. We're not even told the idea of how big the seraphim was because it really doesn't matter. But he flew to him. And Isaiah was standing there perhaps in awe of all these things going on and trembling and realizing how unworthy and how filthy he was. And the angel comes to him. And notice what happens in verse in verse, verse 7. He takes that tongue and it says, He laid it upon my mouth. And he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. He was cleansed. Now, I want to give you some thoughts this morning. Cleansing, spiritual cleansing, is the divine act of God. Water does not cleanse you. You cannot cleanse yourself. Uh, the church cannot cleanse you. Now, the Word of God can cleanse you. Amen? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is true. But cleansing, spiritual cleansing, is a holy, divine act of God. In verse 5, we see his confession. In verse 6 and 7, we see that he's under this great conviction. The seraphims come, and the cleansing followed this confession that he had. 
cleansing comes to him and he lays it upon his mouth. As he does so, it's a burning coal that touches him. But he doesn't feel the pain, he feels the purging. Amen? He doesn't feel the pain, but he feels the purging. He feels the cleansing. He senses he needs to be cleansed. You see, this morning as we have an encounter with the holiness of God, it should bring us to the realization that we have sinned. And we're sinful. And we need God. And we need Him to cleanse us. And Lord, just the thoughts we have. And being so insensitive about God. That our thoughts we have. And maybe the words we say. And the deeds we have. Do not match up with God. And so He's cleansed, the Bible says here. It's laid upon Him. And the angel cries out, by the authority of God. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is purged. You see, as we look at cleansing this morning. Every one of God's people need cleansing. Every one of God's people need their, their sins removed away. The Bible says if we, if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, cleansing, we come to God, is immediate. When we come to ask God for cleansing, and we should do that this morning. Perhaps today as we've, we've been looking at this passage of Scripture, God's brought a sin to your mind or maybe many sins that we need to ask God for cleansing from. And cleansing can be immediate. But cleansing restores us. And cleansing gives us favor with God. And Cleansing is possible through the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ. If we walk in the light as He is in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us uh, from all sin. And so we see cleansing is possible through God. He cleanses them. He gives them cleansing here. And you'll notice in, in our lives there, God cleanses us through His, through his Word. We spend, we spend extended seasons in His Word. And we sense there, uh, after a period of time, we feel like we've gone under a shower. And we feel like the, our sins have been washed through the Word. And then there are times when we understand that maybe... God puts, a, puts us through a fiery trial and through that fiery trial the, those fires burn away at our hearts to help burn away the sin out of our life and through confession we can confess our sins to God I'm just saying today Isaiah had an encounter with God's holiness oh what today God's people have an encounter with His holiness what today if you're not sure you're saved and you're not sure you're going to heaven you realize today that an encounter with holiness is bringing you face to face with a God who loves you a God who wants to save you a God who wants to take away your sins a God who wants to give you the wonderful gift of eternal life. I read the story of many years ago about a woman that had a garage sale and she had this antique copper kettle that uh, she wanted to unload. You know how garage sales are. People want to declutter their homes and things. And she saw this old, this old uh, copper kettle. So she wanted to declutter her home. She put it out and she put a little tag on it that's very noticeable. It said $2.50 and it had a little dollar sign with it. And a passerby came by. One of the neighbors came by to look at it and she kind of took notice of that, of, that, of that copper kettle. And she does like you and I. She would do. She took a look at it and she was kind of looking over but it had spots on it and, and, and was a little bit tarnished because over time and a little bit of oxidation, things like that. And so she looked at the copper kettle like this and the lady who was the owner of that copper kettle just, just said, hey ma'am, can I see that kettle? And she took the kettle from her and she realized, you know what I should have done is use some copper polish to cleanse it and some metal polish to get it cleaned up and get the tarnish out. So let, me, let me borrow that for a minute. And she went over to the side and got a little, little canister that she had there that was a uh, copper cleanser and she got a cloth and she started working it and rubbing it and before long the spots and the tarnishing and uh, the, the things like that that were there that kind of made, devalued it a little bit. She started to clean that, 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 that copper pot off. And in a matter of moments, what looked tarnished and useless and really was undesirable, all of a sudden was shiny and bright. It looked as good as new. And it, was, it, was just, it looked like a really nice kettle pot. And the lady not only cleaned it up, but she took the price tag off that said 250 and she put a new price tag on that said $20 on it. 
And she put twenty dollars. I said, "Here, you can have this kettle back." She said, "Wait a minute. This thing had tarnish on it." And she said, "It was two fifty. Now it's twenty. She says, "Yeah, but it was tarnished before, but it's new today. It's new for you. I've cleaned it up, and I've given you a better pot. You can take it as it is right now because it's worth more now than it was before. And you see, today when you get cleansed by God, you're worth more now than you were before." You're worth more to God now when you get cleansed than you were before. You see, we need God to take the cleansing of His blood, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and cleanse us with that sin, and cleanse us with His blood to wash us away. Uh, there's, a, there's a little program I found for my little granddaughter, Evie, and uh, I kind of entertain her with a little bit there. And, uh, it, and it has this, it's very interactive, and it's this dog that's all dirty, and so the dog pops, the dog appears on the screen, and then the shower head comes out, and what she's supposed to do is move her little finger and take the shower head, and when she touches it, the water comes out, and it starts to water the dog, and starts to just wash down all the things, and the dog's going, yep, 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 like that. And so the water's coming down, and so I say, Evie, okay, let's wash the dog, and she's washing the dog, and then on the side there, there's a, there's a bar of soap there, and then there's a brush there, and there's a hair dryer there i said okay let's get the soap let's put some soap so she lets go of the of the little shower head and the water stops flowing and the dog is drenched and he's just shaking his water off and she gets the little soap there and she moves the soap down and she starts to rub it around like this with her finger and you see these suds coming up and this dog is covered with soap and i said is he clean uh-huh uh-huh he's clean i said well you missed his tail she'd rub his tail a little bit more how about rubbing his nose rubbing his nose she rubs a little more he's all clean i said okay let's rinse him off and she takes the she takes she puts the soap back goes back in the corner she puts her finger back on the shower head she touches it brings it down she starts to water him and starts to wash away all the suds and wash away the dirt all of a sudden that dirty dog is sparkling clean how many love a sparkling clean dog amen nothing better than a dog that smells good amen nothing worse than a dog that stinks amen you know and so she does that i said but you're not done yet you've got it you got it you've got it you've got to get the towel so she moves the towel over there and she starts to rub him around like this rubbing the towel around and dries him a little bit i said we're not done yet she knows what to do she gets the hair dryer and it just turns on she goes fung 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 and she takes the hair dryer and she goes, and is blowing all the blowing his hair away and when the dog is all happy and done she knows she's done because the dog says yep yep and he's all done it's all done with the cleansing hey that dog was better after he got clean than he was before he got clean and when you get saved you're clean and you confess your sin you're clean you're worth more now than you were then Sin devalues us. Sin tarnishes us. We have this encounter with the holiness of God. It changes us. It helps us to realize I'm more valuable to God, clean, than I am defiled. Finally, this morning, would you notice, we see one last thing. We see the essence of holiness. God is holy. We see the encounter with holiness. Holy is He. As we close this morning, would you notice the expectation of holiness? Now, I'm going to finish up the chapter tonight. You've got to come back tonight. I'm going to, tonight, I'm just really looking. I wish I could preach it right now, but I'm really looking forward to tonight. The seraphim said to him in verse 7, This has touched thy lips. Thy iniquity is taken away, thy sin purged. By the way, aren't you just glad tonight, this morning, we have a God who's merciful, amen? A God who cleanses us, a God who washes us, a God who's concerned about us being better today than we were yesterday. Aren't you glad about that this morning? I mean, that encourages my heart. 
But there's expectation. Isaiah has been purged. Write down in your notes, and you look it up later, 2 Timothy 2.20 to 22. 2.20 and 2.21. 2 Timothy. It says something like this. But in a great house, there are vessels of gold and of silver and of wood and of earth and some of honor and some to dishonor. Listen to verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he should be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified, that means holy. That means set apart. Sanctified and meet for the master's use. Now there's expectation of holiness as we close very quickly this morning. Number one, what you notice, there's a expectation of practice. Hebrews 12.10 For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And the context is chasing, but I want you to capture a thought with me. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. He's talking about our earthly fathers. But he, that is God, chastens us for our profit. Notice this, that we might be partakers of his holiness. I want to give you a very profound thought, brother and sister in Christ. God desires you and I to be partakers or fellowship, to have communion with, fully participate in, fully immersed in his holiness. Amen. We're to be partakers in his holiness. You don't have a say in that. That's his will. That's what glorifies him. That's what God wants. And when tasting comes our way, God does it so that we can be partakers of his holiness. But even tasting doesn't come, we're still to be partakers of his holiness. But something else here. Notice 1 Peter chapter chapter 1. And he quotes here from the book of Leviticus. In 1 Peter 1 verses 15 to 16. But as he which has called you is holy. By, we've already established that already. Amen. He's holy. Amen. Holy is he. Say that with me today. Holy is he. Amen. But as he which has called you is holy. So be ye. Who's ye? All, all of us. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, we said this earlier. Holiness is separating our life from practices that are unbiblical, that are sinful, and contrary to God's nature. It's very simply to that. Okay? So think with me for a minute. Think about how we apply the word holiness as an adjective to describe our, our lives. I need to be a holy pastor. You need to be a holy people. This should be a holy church. This needs to be a holy choir. This should be the holy orchestra. We need to have holy ushers. We need to have holy drivers and bus workers. We need to have a holy AV team. I need a holy staff. I need a holy holy deacons. Uh, we need holy maintenance workers. Uh, whatever it may be, we're all to be holy. Holy soul winners, amen? And the Bible says this, holy praying. Holy fear. By the way, there's only one kind of power from God. Holy power. Holy living. Holy speech. Holy service. The Bible speaks about holy hands. Holy marriages, holy families, holy thoughts, on and on and on. I'm just saying, holiness demands as an essential, as an expectation. 
that our practices match up with the nature of God. Amen? But notice the priority in this. The expectation of holiness has a high priority. And this priority is not to be put off for another day. It's a priority we must pursue now. It's a priority we need to accept right now. And he said also in Hebrews 12, verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness. That's why peace talks don't work. Amen. Follow peace and holiness. And then he said this, Without which no man shall see the Lord. That's pretty convicting. Follow peace and holiness without which you're not going to see God. That doesn't mean if you're saved, you won't go to heaven. What it's saying is this. Your fellowship with God is inhibited. It's, it's hindered. It's like, a, it's like a barrier. Until you get it right. Until you get it right. The barrier is not taken away. But it speaks to every person here today who's not saved. If you're not saved, the step, first step to holiness is by entering into God's holiness by the faith acceptance of God's Son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior. Unless you do that, you will not see His holiness. You will not see the Lord. You will not go to heaven. You will die in your sins. You die in your sins without your sins forgiven. Without your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Pastor Fong, you just said that he shed his blood for, you, for, for me already. He did shed his blood for you. But by faith, you need to appropriate it. By faith, you need to accept what Jesus Christ did for you. By faith, you need to say, God, I realize I cannot save myself. And that my sinful power, listen, is not by human deed, not by human decree. It's not by any of those things. It's by, it's by, 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 by of God. We have to understand salvation is only of the Lord. You have to call on the name of the Lord. You have to come to him and realize his holiness transcends everything that's wrong about us and changes. You can be saved today is what I'm saying. You can be saved and you can know that you can see God and that you can spend eternity in heaven and that you can have, you can have heaven as your home by simply coming to God and recognizing you, you, you attain His holiness by coming to Him for His forgiveness. The priority of holiness invites you to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. As we close this morning, holy is He. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Even God's creation testifies of his holiness. His word testifies of his holiness. His indwelling presence testifies of his holiness. Will you be a holy people? Will you be a holy Christian? Will you be a holy man? A holy woman? A holy servant of God? God's holiness demands... That this encounter changes your life and changes life. If you're not saved today, God's holiness speaks out to you to get saved. You say, but pastor, no. The Bible says, for all have sinned, come short of the holiness or the glory of God. We must understand, salvation is the gift of God. He invites you by faith to accept Him. As a Christian, you should be moved today that you saw a small glimpse of what Isaiah saw. And in that encounter, he said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, who with my eyes have seen the King in all His glory. Does that change you? Will it change you? Will you respond like Isaiah did? Will you be changed? 
Because if we're not pursuing His holiness, we cannot see the Lord. Why don't you do that this morning? Father, today, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture that speaks so wonderfully to us about the goodness of God, for the holiness of the Lord. In your holiness this morning, we've seen your love, your justice, your mercy, your forgiveness, your cleansing, your reconciliation, your redemption, your propitiation, your justification, and even your glorification in all of this, Lord. We are people of unclean lips. Forgive us, Lord, this morning for things we should have said that we never did say. And forgive us, Lord, this morning for things we said that we wish we never said. Forgive us that out of the abundance of our heart the mouth speaketh. Forgive us many times as we've opened the Holy Scriptures we did not behold the holiness of God. Forgive us this morning for not pursuing holiness, which the Bible says, without which no man shall see God. The invitation is given that all would be partakers of His holiness. All would be holy, even as He is holy. We take those steps by reading your word, by praying, by being in church, by fellowship, by the worship of God, through the receiving of the preaching of your word. All of these things and much more. The witnessing of our faith. These are essential practices that help us with our holiness. Lord, as you invite your people today, I extend the invitation to enter into your holiness. I pray for cleansing and forgiveness throughout the congregation this morning. I pray for some here today who are not sure they're saved, that they call upon Jesus to save them. I wonder right now as I pause for just a moment, I know we're going to go. Is there somebody here today you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven? You're really not sure? Something's tugging at your heart saying, you're not saved, but you need to get saved. And you say, Pastor Fong, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved. This encounter with holiness has really scared me. It's made me realize that I've come short of the glory of God, but I want to be saved. And you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I've got my right hand raised. Would you pray for me? I want to be sure I'm saved and going to heaven. Is there anyone like that? Somebody here like that, man or woman, boy or girl, you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Anyone like that? I'll wait for you just a moment. You're not sure you're saved. It's important you know for sure you're saved. It's important you know for sure you're going to heaven. You're, you're not sure, but you want to be sure today. Then God's people today, how about you? Are you a partaker of His holiness? Are you pursuing holiness? Did that encounter Isaiah have kind of shake you a little bit? Remember what I said this morning. When you come under His cleansing, you're better now than you were before. You're more valuable now than you were before. Why don't you come for His cleansing? Don't be ashamed. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. We'll give the invitation. Don't delay. You come. Father, save souls. Give us revival. Stir us because of your holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Please stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come, come forward this morning. Take your time at the altar. Come with humility. Come with reverence. Would you take your moment? Come with a friend. Come with a family member. Receive his holiness today. Would you do that? it this morning you have a sense you need to be brought into the holiness of God and his presence how about it this morning we'll sing another stanza as you come
God's spoken to us the beauty of holiness. He speaks to us in holiness. I pray this morning God has worked in your heart. And I hope you'll come back tonight. Title tonight's message, Just One Look. That's all it took. Just one look at God's holiness changed his life forever. It can change your life and mine. You'll be here for that tonight. Father, in a moment, dismiss us with your blessing. You're so good to us. We pray this morning we not take lightly what you've done. And we'll let you be glorified in us. We pray these things of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.